This is Star Talk. Hello, San Francisco. Welcome to the 16th annual San Francisco Sketchfest presented by Audible. Thank you. Yeah, check out my show on Audible. Okay, it is now my great pleasure to bring out your host, one of America's and the world's great science communicators and educators. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Nye the Science Guy! Eugene Guy Hunt! Yes! Greetings! Woo! Whoa, yes! Yes! Oh, man! Oh, wow, wow! I love you guys! Wow! Yes! Yes! Uh, well, welcome, welcome, welcome to 16th Sketchfest. Yeah. Wow. Are my arms tired? Wait. No, we have a fantastic show tonight. We have a fantastic show, so we'll do three segments, each, uh, each more brilliant than the last, and then we'll have questions and answers at the end. So if you have brilliant questions that occur to you during this exciting uh, evening, uh, there'll be microphones up front at the end. But now, people, it's time to introduce our amazing panel. First of all, to my right, Eugene... Okay, wait. No, Eugene's got it going on. Did they already go on about how great you are? You'll, tomorrow night, you'll be at uh, the Swedish American Hall with Andy Richter. And he's, the, he's Gene on Bob's Burger. And uh, his uh, audio show, uh, Hold On, is available on Audible. Uh, yeah. Turn it up loud. Really? Yeah. All right, now, 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 the, enough with this exciting thing. We'll start with a, uh, we have a big treat for you. Is anybody from down under? Anybody from Australia? There you go. And so is Claudia O'Doherty. Give it up. She has on the Netflix's Love Show. Here she is. It's Thank three you. in the afternoon for her tomorrow. It's true. Claudia, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Then the woman who started this uh, sketching of festing, who's on uh, FX's You're the Worst and IFC's Stand Against Evil, here's Janet Varney. Yes, blow it up, blow it up. And... Oh, yeah. Good and evening. then, you know, Star Talk has a science theme. So we're going to have a whole science theme tonight uh, from uh, a woman who uh, is a, uh, a space innovator, a space explorer, a citizen who engages all of us in the joy of space exploration, uh, Ariel Waldman. Please come out. Welcome, 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 welcome to Star Talk. Thank you. If we're going to have the times of our lives as is. Welcome, welcome. How about the theater, you guys? Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. My goodness, my goodness. So, uh, so let's get started. Uh, welcome to Star Talk. I'm your guest hosting guy, Bill Nye, and I'm very happy to be here. And uh, we'll start, Ariel, we can start with you, right? Among the many things you're involved in is hacking our way to the future. Exactly. Now, I, I am of a certain age. 
And when I think of hacking, I think of, I think of trouble. I think of, <laughs> of interactions that are stressful. But you're talking about creating things, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, hacking can be good trouble. You know, hacking is really about modifying things or breaking into things and using them for a purpose they weren't originally intended for. And you can do that in a good way or you can do that in a bad way. So we're not exactly talking about hacking into your email tonight here, Bill. <laughs> There's not that much in there. And, we'll you know, be the judge of that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm a germaphobe, so... <laughs> Sorry, Claudia, is a local reference. All right. Uh, Thank you. Uh, so uh, you, you encourage people to modify things for the sake of exploring space? Yeah, it's, hacking space exploration is really about creating and prototyping new things, uh, things that are maybe not very you know, elegant, but might be very clever, and new ways of doing things that haven't been considered before, a lot that, of times through multidisciplinary collaboration. Like disguising yourself as a space suitcase and stowing away on a shuttle? That would actually be very clever, but not very elegant, so yes. <laughs> so oh, yeah. You're on the council of the NIAC, the uh, NASA's innovative... Advanced concepts. Advanced con NIAC. Yeah. And so how did you get that gig? That sounds cool. Yeah, it, uh, it came through a kind of weird way. I mean, through my own experience getting the career that I have. Uh, I, oh, okay, okay, okay. What's your career? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a space activist of sorts. <laughs> Of Which, sorts. Of sorts, of sorts. You know, my, my, a lot of what I work on is about making space exploration accessible to everyone and getting scientists to realize how they can collaborate with people outside of their discipline to create better things. Is that like things. No Man's Sky? My mom plays No Man's Sky. Is that what that is? Mm, maybe not exactly. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, so I, I came from a completely non-science background, and I unexpectedly stumbled into a job at NASA one day, and, and now... Okay. As happens. The Buzz Aldrin story. That's right. I don't know why I'm not relatable. So you're walking down the street, or maybe you were hovercrafting down the street... And uh, you thought, cool, I'm, I want to get a job at NASA. What'd you do? You fired off an email. What what, yeah, what happened was I was watching this documentary called uh, When We Left Earth, and it was about NASA during the early days trying to figure out how to get, send people into space. And the thing that I found so inspiring about this documentary was the fact that all the mission control people they were interviewing were talking about how they didn't know anything about rockets or orbits or spacecrafts. Just, <laughs> just like nowadays. But it was... <laughs> You know, but so it's like I was watching that. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about space exploration, I mean, and they I must have known something. This is literally how we got the president. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I, I'm a little more humble than that. <laughs> yeah. But but so I. I inspired by this and I decided to send someone at NASA an email saying I was a huge fan of what they were doing and if they ever needed someone like me that I was around and I ended up getting a job at NASA from that email so whom did you email <laughs> or you, you'd have to kill uh, info I, at NASA.USA <laughs> you should try it 
Uh, no, I, I had emailed someone that I had never met. A, a friend of mine said that they just met someone from NASA and they gave there me their email. There are a lot of holes and I, in this story. What? It sounds it's like a big lie. <laughs> I swear. This is all 2008. And uh, I got a job at NASA Ames down here in, in Mountain View. Can I Thank you, Absolutely. NASA Ames fam. Can I ask too, Ariel, and maybe if you know, is, is what you do when you say that you're a space activist, is that something that there would be was there a version of you from the beginning of kind of U.S. space exploration? Like, were there people who were outside of NASA who were acting as sort of being activists in that way uh, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s? I, you know, you know I don't think there's been a, a lot of uh, people over the last few decades because of the way the way science trended. But in the early days, I mean, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory got started by a bunch of crazy people, you know, experimenting with How rockets. crazy? Like Sid Barrett? Or <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> no, they were started by uh, the guy, the explosives guy, who was mixing uh, fuels. Uh, Parsons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Jet Propulsion Lab. And so you say no one knew anything about rockets, for crying out loud. Somebody must have had a clue. They, they were they were interviewing the you know these people who were you know in their 20s who were getting jobs at NASA in the early 1960s and you know the reality of trying to send a human into space was that they didn't the people they were hiring they didn't know anything about orbits they and, knew, and rockets like, they were figuring it out as they went along like but they, they weren't learned. interviewing like the trogs they were interviewing like <laughs> you know sort of the scientists of some sort right people yeah, with no, slides were great people, band reference but these, these were people who worked in mission control uh, you know during the Apollo era during the Gemini and Mercury era. And so do you have a science background before you emailed this great email that got you the job so, at NASA? Yeah. So I, I, I don't. I, I went to art school and got my degree in graphic design. That's amazing. Thank you. This is amazing. <laughs> but it shows you that the people of all kinds are required for this endeavor of space exploration. Absolutely. To paint our ways into space. That's right. <laughs> well, seriously... You want, I bet you want some spaces, some, that's a hilarious uh, reference. You want some interior uh, things to look nice. You want to have a nice design. You want ergonomic shapes and stuff. I mean, that's what Virgin Galactic is certainly yeah. trying to do, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I won't go into, into space unless it looks cool. <laughs> that's yeah, my space thing. isn't enough. <laughs> but, uh, that's my thing. But it has that's to where look I stand. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, uh, the thing is that NASA reached out to you because they want to do, they want to get people from outside the building, from outside their box, right? Yeah, absolutely. They were, you know, it, it was a very serendipitous experience because uh, the day that I had emailed NASA, they had just posted a job description looking for someone who explicitly had no experience with NASA because they wanted to sort of bridge that gap and create collaborations between uh, communities inside and outside of NASA to create, you know, more new, clever, awesome stuff. Do you think they were just looking for someone who wasn't a total nerd? <laughs> I think they may have failed when they hired me. <laughs> you have your own nerdy proclivities. It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, if we just think about, you know, through history. William Herschel was, uh, it was a conductor, an orchestra conductor, music director. Yeah, Charles Darwin, they say, flunked out of medical school. Yeah, uh, because at the time, nobody believed his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Thomas Edison was a salesman, Einstein was a patent clerk, and you're a space activist. Right there. What? What are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> 
So um, you worked at the CoLab? Yeah. Yeah, so CoLab was the program at NASA Ames that was trying to get amateur astronomers to collaborate with astronomers at NASA and trying to get different uh, missions to open up their data, which, uh, you know, a few years ago was still quite a surprisingly monumental task to do. So when, uh, when you say amateur astronomers, you know, one yeah. of... Yeah, what does that mean? What is an amateur astronomer? Like, what's the difference between me who looks into the sky and an amateur astronomer <laughs> who knows something about what he sees? I think it depends on who you ask, you know, I mean, I think the amateur astronomer uh, community would say, you know, there are people who have telescopes, they own their own telescopes, and they actually do observations, and they actually submit them uh, to NASA or other organizations for, you know, further looking. Yeah, um, isn't, <clears throat> isn't that a thing where you can, you can sort of take, you can volunteer as a layperson to take a chunk of sky? I'm sure that's, that's the official right. term. No, no, that's right. Take it sky and Sky chunkers, in they call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you can sort of be responsible, you can look from home and say, I found this. Yeah, no, there's a lot of that. programs out there uh, from observing stars to observing even just uh, light pollution, you know, anything where you're just observing parts of the sky and, and uh, submitting it so that you can create sort of a collective database um, and, and kind of expand our knowledge on any of those topics. If, well, if we I sent this... an email that said, like, I found the Big Dipper again, like, how long before <laughs> they were like, please stop emailing us about the Big Dipper? <laughs> thing with federal agencies is they can't exactly tell you to stop emailing them. So, oh. have, you yeah. know, go for Get it. ready, NASA. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just found the Big Dipper again. <laughs> so, the, we say this all the time, the difference between amateur astronomers and astronomers is not the same as the difference between amateur tennis players and professional tennis players. Amateur astronomers, by long tradition, contribute a great deal. You know, they, you know, the Hale-Bopp comet and whatever. These guys are just saying, hey, that's cool. So uh, even so, though, those communities can get isolated. Uh, like the amateur astronomer astronomer community can get isolated from the normal people. So, I think you just isolated wow. them. I'm very isolated from the amateur surgeon community. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Be that's glad. just what I'm talking about. An amateur uh, surgeon doesn't get a lot of work. That's, I know. They have to make their own work, Eugene. I know. <laughs> so uh, you went in there with your art and design background, and what did you do? So I helped sort of facilitate these collaborations and I uh, consulted with a lot of the missions on how to make their data open but also accessible. So one What of mission, the, for example? So uh, the LCROSS mission, uh, the mission that, uh, if, if you remember a few years ago, there was in the news a big <laughs> oh, article about NASA's bombing, the, to say. Na NASA's bombing the moon. You know, that was all the headlines and everyone was freaking out at NASA that they were bombing the moon, but they were actually just impacting it with a small space craft um, and sort of looking at the, uh, the surface of the moon uh, from uh, the debris. And so one of the problems in science and with NASA is that, you know, a lot of times they think just opening up their data and just, you know, putting it out there and doing nothing else with it is making it accessible. But that's not really true. It's not really until you build interfaces and actually think through how people can use this and make it more accessible so that people with non-technical backgrounds can still do interesting things with the data does it truly make it accessible. So when you say data, what are you talking about? Pictures? Sometimes pictures, sometimes spectrum analysis. You know, it's, it depends on the spacecraft. If you had an art background, how did you learn all this science? Or, did, or is that 
I'm a fast learner. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, it, it, get, uh, getting a job at NASA for me was like getting paid to go to school. I got to learn about dark matter and robots and all this stuff all the time, and it was just amazing. Uh, and, you know, the science, learning the science was actually, you know, uh, not, it didn't take me that long. It was learning the politics that took much longer uh, mm. for me to learn. Uh, you so know, working for the government's no small thing. But speaking, you don't work there now, speaking of that. I advise them now, yeah. But I don't work for them. That sounds like the best of both worlds. It kind of is. <laughs> yeah, this is you, what you should do, but I'm going to go now. It's <laughs> uh, pretty much it. Yeah. I told you, I told you. <laughs> That's yeah. my role in Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're working on the future of human spaceflight? So I was on a National Academy of Sciences committee about the future of human spaceflight and telling uh, Congress and NASA and the White House about how to build a sustainable uh, human spaceflight program out to the 2050s. And did they? Well, we're not in the 2050s yet. Yeah, huh. good point. How many people want to go to Mars? As a civilization or personally? That's a great question. Expand on that. Unpack that. I would us. love it if someone here or elsewhere went to Mars. And I think I would stay, but I would love the information back. <laughs> well, if you look under your chairs, you all want a trip to Mars! <laughs> Now, we'll, we'll talk about Mars in a little while. Uh, That's what they all say. Uh, <laughs> so, ominous. Does, does, does the uh, NIAC still exist? Yeah, NIAC's still around. Uh, but you were saying that something that you worked on, the CoLab doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, CoLab, unfortunately. She had a grimace from yes. the radio listeners. It was a grimace. <laughs> Yeah, CoLab, uh, the program, uh, unfortunately, didn't, didn't last. Uh, but um, the people who started CoLab went on to do a lot of awesome things. Uh, one of them uh, actually went on to uh, found a startup here in the Bay Area called Planet Labs that does uh, small satellite exploration. So um, We're all about you know. that. What's small What's satellite called? exploration? Small satellites exploring. Mm, look at that. <laughs> Sorry. Listen. How does, <laughs> I should have said, how does that work? Uh, and, and does it mean like for people to send small satellites or companies or? This is a this is a startup. So they have a constellation of uh, small satellites that are, are they the really size that? of yeah, it's size of like a loaf of bread that they send up, and they try to um, get a full picture of the Earth every day. So instead of only getting a full picture of the Earth on Google Maps. You know, once every few weeks or months, they are trying to do it every day. So you need space, a constellation of spacecraft. Yeah. Do you so, miss the guys from CoLab? Do I miss them? Yeah. Well, I still see them. You stay in touch? Yeah. Did you have a big party on the last day of CoLab? <laughs> I don't know if it was a, a party so much, but, uh, but yeah, no, was I still see wine? them. Was there wine? Were there more than six people? <laughs> Co CoLab was... I think the actual program was a small group of people, but it had a pretty expansive network across NASA, sort of having NASA ambassadors at each uh, location. I love that you're avoiding whether you had a party. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it was well, an what? awesome party. There was party. ambassadors. I won't say if there was wine. <laughs> 
So what does NIAC do? What kind of things does NIAC do? So NIAC, the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program, uh, is the only program at NASA that funds the more science fiction-like, out there, you know, uh, the you cool know, stuff. The cool stuff that could transform future space missions over the next like 10, robots 20 that years. eat babies, or what's like the good side? <laughs> You know, just like bad babies. More things like, you know, <laughs> using comets as propulsion systems or how humans might hibernate on the way to Mars. Or turning loaves of bread into small satellites. Yes. I've been Absolutely. listening. Yeah. I've been listening. No, I have, a, I have a list of some of the prizes. Super Ball Bot. Super Ball Bot, yeah. So the Super Ball Bot is a, a planetary rover that uses tensegrity, which is essentially tension. And by using like sort of a matrix of joints and, and tension between the, those joints, it can sort of bounce on different planetary surfaces. And they think this might be a really cool rover to use, uh, ro rover of sorts to use on places like Titan, where it's kind of more swampy. So this would be a rover that wouldn't actually get stuck because it can sort of bounce around and its tension structures means that it can crawl up um, hills and, and do things that... So it's motorized tensegrity? So it's sort of actuators with, with joints and... Uh, what do you think an actuator is? Like, I have an idea, but what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so... So actuators actually, you know, uh, can can uh, extend and contract the tension in this particular uh, planet. Solid guess, <laughs> and I thank you for it. <laughs> no, so tensegrity, everybody, goes back to Buckminster Fuller. The architect, yeah, we're at Buckminster Fuller. Bucky! Yeah. Anyway, this was a guy that came up with the geodesic dome. And uh, so he had this other thing where you have all the the structural members that are in compression are sticks or solid, and everything that's in tension is just a rope or a string. So they look really cool because none, uh, none of the stiff rods or whatever touch each other. They're all held apart by very tight ropes or cables. And so they are very springy and bouncy because all those ropes are stretchy and boingy. And so, then an actuator... I can't tell if you're flirting with me or if you're... <laughs> it's, uh, it's the way nerds talk sometimes. Uh, then an actuator, everybody, if you've ever seen a bulldozer, the shiny thing that uh, actuates. Ah. Wait, what? <laughs> That's where it falls apart. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> what is this bulldozer you speak of? Is that... No, you've seen the, uh, the really shiny rods that push the shovel up oh, and down. Oh, yeah! No, still no. Sorry, I graduated high school with a 2.1. Are, so are, you, saying, are you saying actuators, how do they actually work? I was asking really what it was. What because yet? I don't know, but that's they extend, not that weird. A rod extends out of a tube. Okay. It tracks into a tube. Thank you. So if you have a bunch of rods that, that extend in and pull, it, pull in and pull out. Yeah. It's a... In a coordinated fashion. Yeah. He is for sure flirting with you now. You like, I'm 100% sure. I believe you're literally describing space ding-dongs, but uh -huh. I understand. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move to the next <laughs> item next. That was super, super so, bot. Super ball bot. Super ball bot. Super, then How on from that to, that was going to go to Saturn, to Titan, moon of Saturn. It, it, uh, it. They think that it might work well on uh, Titan because they've got lakes of methane alongside, uh, I guess, actual uh, methane rocks. And uh, so you've got sort of like a swampy area on Titan. And they think a traditional rover would have 
problems trying to get in and out of a lot of the methane puddles that exist there. And yeah, I thought that would probably be the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best to get an actuating bull butt. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. of the sproinging and the boinging. It'll bounce on the, yeah, on the space the mine. That's going to be good. So, item next. Water walls. Highly reliable and massively redundant life support architecture. Yes, so water walls is the concept of actually having uh, walls of water uh, that actually uh, process waste and uh, produce food for astronauts and kind of do it all in one. And why this was uh, kind of fascinating is because... <laughs> kind of do it all in one. Yeah, so it's doing all of these processes together uh, by using uh, polyethylene uh, bags um, that are filled with water, and it can do things like grow green algae for astronauts, which isn't very tasty, but, you know, is protein, and it can do a lot of those things, um, and, and they're looking into it because the current uh, life support systems on the International Space Station are all mechanical, they break down easily, but if you look into more bio-inspired designs where you more have um, a lot of, uh, I guess, bags of water processing everything sort of as one cohesive ecosystem that they don't break down as much. And then when they do, you can easily replace them. There. <laughs> Done. Wait, and so that department do does it. or does not still exist? Sorry? The, 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 the thing that you worked for that was doing that, is that still... That, no, this NIAC is still in still existence. Thing. Colab is the, is the is program. It's gone, but is, water yeah. walls are someone's like trying to make it happen. Yeah, water walls is Great. absolutely someone's How big are the water walls? Uh, I think in the prototypes that I saw, they were just small bags, but I think the concept is that you would actually uh, surround the entire space station walls with them so that they would so be sort like of encompassing. A football field kind of thing. Well, if you put them on an international space station, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How long till I can well, have a water wall at my house and why would I need it? <laughs> well, you know, it has the added benefit of radiation safety, but, you know, you don't need that as much. <laughs> you know, both helpful and bleak. <laughs> you it's don't an added know. benefit. Yeah, if you uh, need it. Now, moving on, orbiting rainbows. Orbiting oh. rainbows. <laughs> She's like, the deadliest of options. <laughs> yeah. What? They sound adorable. No, they are. Adorable. Orbit, orbiting rainbows is, is literally a concept to throw out a bunch of glitter into outer space. <laughs> it's the rainbow option. We only so long, San Francisco. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to clean up glitter, though. So I don't know if that's a great idea. Well, that is one oh, concern. Is uh, the idea is to throw out a bunch of glitter into outer space and then actually shoot a couple of lasers through it. So you've got rainbows, you glitter, laser and lasers. Show. I bet and you then... guys did have a party and it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, and then the concept is uh, by doing that, you're actually creating prisms and you might actually be able to image an exoplanet through those prisms. Take me Whoa. back a few steps. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you're imaging an exoplanet. Yes. Yeah. You know, with glitter. <laughs> and lasers. Okay. So we've shot a laser into some space glitter. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just in, so we're in space. Yeah. But imagine yourself like on roller skates just for fun. Okay. <laughs> it feels like it completes this weird 70s Probably picture. Probably wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you're imaging an ex. Okay. I don't know. No. No. <laughs> what no, does here's that what mean? I'm, I'm imagining. Like that Kepler shoot- 23B? <laughs> Is it? 
I, I think the concept was exoplanet, you know, uh, uh, it didn't matter which exoplanet it was. Okay, um, what is an exoplanet, please? So an exoplanet is an extrasolar planet, which just means a planet around a star other than our own. Okay, great. Okay. So like, Would one example be Kepler 23b? <laughs> yes. Just checking. And so... <laughs> If we shoot a laser through some glitter in space, we can see an exoplanet. There. Yeah. So here's what crying. I think the, the concept was. I'm jamming here. Please jam. Jam it, jam it up. up. As you know, uh, engineer space Bill. Space jam. You gently. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. See, it was a party. It's all about the party. So you put the glitter there and you shoot a laser at it and then you configure the optical properties of the pattern of glitter uh-huh. in orbit. Then you use, <laughs> then you shoot a telescope at the glitter and mathematically work backwards to use the glitter as a big lens. Uh-huh. And then you figure, the, you, you figure out where the glitter is using the laser from Earth. And I'm then, jamming here, like, as I mentioned. Eventually it becomes a really cool t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Great. If you have more yeah. questions, Mariah Carey made a movie about it. It's called Glitter. It's Burning Man in Space. It's <laughs> good to know. Uh, uh, Transformers for Extreme Environments. So, Transformers for Extreme Environments. So, you've got the Autobots and the Decepticon. No. Um, so, Transformers for Extreme Environments is a project which uh, wanted to put these sort of shape-shifting reflectors up on the edges of caves on Mars or on the moon. And by doing that, they could actually reflect sunlight to a rover so that it could go actually explore these caves. Why this is important is because a lot of times without solar power, rovers can't actually work. And so this is a way of sort of reflecting sunlight to a rover in a crater or cave so that it can actually explore those spaces without turning I feel turning like I off. understood that. Yeah. We did it! Yeah, the glitter thing. We all did it. I was like, the glitter thing sounds accurate, but I remain confused. Fascinating, this, though. I, I, I feel a lot better about humanity hearing about all these projects that are being worked on. It really yeah. is. Uh, so, as we say at the Planetary Society, space exploration brings out the best in us. By that, I mean humankind. It brings people together from all walks of life because everybody wants to explore space, right? <laughs> It's not called dirt talk, <laughs> star talk, for crying out loud, it's cool. Uh, now we got, um, uh, we got a lot to talk about. So this is, you also run the hackathon. Science Hack Day. Hack Day, and this is, which is derivative of hackathon. We're yes. in San Francisco, we have, we have maker bots, maker fairs, we have hackathoners. <laughs> So uh, this is where you take things, you innovate, you make uh, extraordinary new things. So we'll be back in a few moments to talk about hacking on the way to Mars. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Bill Nye, Eugene Merman. You're supposed to be applauding and going crazy. Claudio Darty, Ariel Waldman, Janet Varney. We'll be right back. So, if you remember last time, which was moments ago, <laughs> we were talking about the charm of hacking, of uh, t- repurposing a thing to do something new and cool. And what we all want to do uh, is go deep, farther and deeper into space. 
And where we all want to go is Mars. Yeah? Cha. So, Ariel, how are we going to hack our way to Mars? Uh, people are doing a lot of things to hack their way to Mars right now. Uh, one of the, the NIAC projects, actually, that I thought was really interesting uh, was a project called Urban Biomining, which actually takes synthetically enhanced microbes and has it has them actually break down electronics to be able to use them and reprint them on the surface of Mars. So why this does... is digesting electronics? Yeah. Wait, are you saying like <laughs> microbes like eat a microwave and then recreate a microwave on Mars? Kind of, in, in, a, in a sense. It's not that far off. It's, it's the concept of actually using these microbes. Um, when, so you're going to Mars, you have a lot of electronics with you. Some of those electronics are going to break over time. And what if instead of just tossing them aside, you could actually feed them to a bunch of microbes and have those microbes in turn poop out copper and other useful materials that you can actually create to create new electronics and new circuits? Good idea. Wow. It's <laughs> amazing. No, it is a good idea. So, you know, yeah. you guys, are you hip to this expression, e-waste? Yeah. Ms. Martin, you seem deeply concerned. Uh, the, I'm, the I can't, podcaster I, I cannot have, see the furrow brown. I have brown. pooping copper ringing in my ears, but in a what's, good way. In a good way. What's the difference between what you just said and uh, the wizard, wizardry of alchemy? Yeah. <laughs> One might be real. Are you describing alchemy? <laughs> no, but I can get it. It would be a heck of a thing if you had some microbe that would strip a circuit board. Yeah. And get oh, the metal it off. Eats it eats copper and poops out copper. Well, uh, it, in this it example, eats mixed metals and can actually then poop out copper. So it can kind of refine it so that you can get the exact type of metal that you want to create a circuit or create um, some it, other sort of. Electronic. What about rhodium? Or a bunch of them? Some poops out iron. Some That's, copper. Yeah. yeah. So so essentially, this is what it means to be sort of synthetically enhanced microbes. You sort of train them to do certain tasks. Oh, you wow. just give them a real taste for copper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. making like a really good copper fit. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that is a very cool idea, really, That because e-waste is a big problem. You know, we grind up electronic circuit boards to recover the metals, and they mix together. They're hard to separate. They're a lot of plastic. It takes a lot of energy. What if we could hire microbes to do it? That would be... Do cool. we have to pay the microbes? <laughs> I, uh, I don't think so. No, as long as, as, long as they're American microbes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, at some point they'll turn on us and eat us and all that good stuff, but like, you know, copper. <laughs> so right now, though, we don't really, we can't really land people on Mars, right? Not yet. And uh, We can land them, they'll just die right away. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eugene, I yeah. saw that documentary that, where he lived and he survived <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Guy, funny. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. He talks while he eats a lot. Yeah. And he listened to disco music the way you do. What else could keep you alive on Mars? Well, we have to do an advanced concept research on it. So, people want to go to Mars badly. Why? I think a lot, uh, people have a lot of different reasons. Uh, in, in the human spaceflight study for the National Academy of Sciences, we defined a lot of different rationales that people have and discovered that 
there's no one rationale that really uh, outwins them all. Some people say, you know, inspiration of students, economic return, national security, but then there's the aspirational ones, human survival, or shared human destiny. Soon it'll be the only place with a Planned Parenthood. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. A lot not of reasons to go. Fight, not <laughs> if we fight. Cancer screenings, mainly. Sorry. No, so everybody, uh, as we often say, going to the moon was motivated by the Cold War. And so uh, he's not here tonight, but if Neil deGrasse Tyson were here, our beloved, he would say if, if uh, the Chinese uh, Space Administration were going to send a mission to Mars, boy, we'd get on it. The United States would get on it in a second. But the reason that I want to send instruments and then humans to Mars is to look for signs of life. It would be an extraordinary thing to find evidence of life on another world. Yeah. And if there's something still alive, which we presume would be either copper or iron-loving <laughs> microbes, it would change the world. It would change the way everybody feels about being a living thing here on Earth. It would be wild be like Copernicus or Galileo it just changed the way you feel about the cosmos and so that's what the advanced concepts business is all about it's business right yeah well I mean it's the business of exploration and making sure that we're actually pushing the boundaries and not just uh, only funding things that seem realistic today but funding credible research that could be done even though it can't be applied maybe for a couple of decades for a couple of decades yeah. so when you have your um, Hackathon, uh, hack days, science hack days. Science hack day. Uh, do people come up with space exploration ideas? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes very funny ones. Uh, some of the, the hacks that I've seen at science hack days, uh, one of my favorite ones was um, uh, an asteroid lamp, uh, which someone wanted to create that would actually light up every time a near-Earth asteroid uh, flew by the Earth and it would make a loud sound. So it sort of was like a, a near-death lamp that you could freak your coworkers out with. So what sort of sound? like? Whatever sound you want, but it was, you know, a loud buzzing sound. It was like, you know... That they conceived of or they built? They built. So this was using an Arduino and plastic cups because it's a hackathon and you have to uh, make what, do with what, what you've got. What was the first word? Arduino. Right. So what is an Arduino? <laughs> an Arduino, in the sense, you can think of it as sort of a tiny, dumb computer, I guess. It's, it's, it's a way of actually plugging in sensors and connecting it to data sets. Um, it's very cheap and small. A lot of people here in San Francisco have probably played with one. Um, yeah, a few nerds. Woo, Arduino! Right. Woo! Yeah. Arduino. So, uh, so we want to, uh, when these people hack, do they have Mars in mind? I don't think they... I say, and by, where to get the materials? Do people show up with... It's a bring-your-own-materials event, uh, you know, with the... With the <laughs> you know, a B-Y-O-M. <laughs> with the, with the, you know, our, uh, asteroid lamp, it was an Ikea lamp, plastic cups, uh, some glue, and an Arduino hooked up to a Twitter feed. Oh, it sounds gorgeous. <laughs> it, hooked up again, to a Twitter clever, feed? Why elegant. the last one? Because it was uh, harassing people? <laughs> 
Yes, with asteroids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, you, people uh, created a, a Twitter feed that actually hooked into a data set that tells you when asteroids pass by the Earth, which actually happens fairly often. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you didn't know better, you know, it would be the alarm that lets you know to duck and cover. <laughs> uh, for so an it asteroid. is a tweets to say now. It, it tweets uh, saying, uh, the, so the account is called Low Flying Rocks, and it tweets to say uh, how close to the Earth they're coming, when they're expected, um, and, and a lot of other information about them. So somebody built a lamp that could terrify them as they slept? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> or maybe soothe them. Maybe it would be just a happy sound most of the time, like a like white and pink noise, and then... Something would go wrong. But if you like to worry about things, everybody. It yeah. sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Asteroids, Do you have any stuff I could worry about? <laughs> asteroids are really good for worrying. They're very unlikely to hit, but they're so-called low probability but high consequence. Uh, like, like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The human asteroid. <laughs> so, oh God. Not changing the subject too much, but if you're going to deflect an asteroid, people talk about this. No, you'd have to see it a uh, long way out, 10, 20 years, 30 years out, and then you could put like a, a mirror on it, a, a shiny, some glitter, some glitter. And it would reflect sunlight, and that would change its change the way it reflects sunlight, and it would change its course. So you worked on star shade, right? I, well, I didn't work on star shade, but that's a project that came out of NIAC. And what what was that doing? Uh, it wasn't deflecting asteroids, but it is about creating images of exoplanets by creating a really long flower-like unfurling shade that goes in front of telescopes. And by doing that, it can block out starlight ah. and actually be able, the, the telescope can then be able to actually get a picture of the exoplanet. Um, but this is something that would be very large in space, so like the size of a baseball diamond. In space. Wow. In space. And then cool. we shoot a telescope right at it mm -hmm. to block out the star and then the hopes of seeing the planet behind it way, way out there. Yeah, so one of the main ways that we discover exoplanets now is that we look at starlight and we sort of infer that a planet is going in front of it because we see dips in the starlight. Um, but we can't actually see the planet itself because we're looking just directly at the star. At the super star. bright star, yeah. Yeah, so by blocking out the, the light of the star and focusing on the planet itself, we might be able to get a picture. But you guys, just think about what we are doing. I say we, using our intellect and treasure, our society. We have instruments that can point at a fantastically distant star and see it dim because a planet passes between us and the star. That's like out there, Matt. <laughs> and this would be taking Literally. it up another uh, star shade notch. Yeah, I, this is a dumb question, but because we're, you're talking about ways to sort of amend existing telescopes, are we, are we sort of, have, have we reached what we're able to do in terms of like, this is as powerful as this telescope can get. So this is as powerful as any telescope can get. We can't figure out a way to make it more powerful, thus we need to hack it. Right and make a beautiful uh, flower cloak. I, mean, I like to think of it in a sort of Harry Potter context. Yeah, I mean, 
in a sense, that's correct. I mean, we can always be building bigger and better telescopes, but I think we've definitely reached a stage where we're looking into how we can augment telescopes mm -hmm. or how we can actually create constellations of telescopes to be able to give us more power to do more things. So the other thing is, if star is bright. So if your point, no matter how small or big your telescope, you're still looking at a very bright star. This is solving a little different problem. Mm -hmm. Use your big telescope to look for the dim planet uh, next to the stars. Very cool idea. And just changing the subject back to me. Uh, <laughs> this, this Planetary Society flew our solar sail last year. Thank you, if there are any Kickstarters out there, thank you. Uh, for those of you listening uh, on the bus, I am wearing a, a light sail tie. And uh, we're going to fly light sail too on the next, on the next, uh, the second Falcon Heavy, which is the SpaceX rocket. So it doesn't hasn't flown yet. They're going to go back to flight any minute. So they got um, the Falcon Nine has how many engines? If you were shooting from six, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's good. Is it nine two? engines? Yes, nine. Yes. Nice. And the Falcon Heavy has twenty-seven heavy engines. It can lift heavier things. Yeah, yeah, totally. More, more space sails, light <laughs> sails. Yeah, and more small satellites. So the light sail, for those of you who, for some reason, are not just totally engaged with the planetary society, uh, it's 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 30 centimeters. It's a smaller it's like than a typical... It's the size of a loaf of bread. Okay. It's yeah. a little smaller, yeah. Right, well, you know, an artisanal loaf of bread. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, with with uh, shiny stuff inside. Exactly, yeah. 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 Uh, and so we deploy the sail, and then the light from the sun pushes it. And you would say, but I thought light has no mass. How can it have momentum? Yeah, that's what I would say. And then what would you say? Say a couple of comics or something like that. What would you say? Uh, I would say that light has momentum. And it's a strange and amazing thing. And it, so it pushes, uh, pushes a solar sail through space. And uh, I will be going to the solar sail conference. Is it in space? Uh, <laughs> it's on the way. It's in Osaka, Japan. Oh. It's get down. going really fast. <laughs> you just keep going. So it is, we're very excited about that. And that is something that um, people have messed around with for a long time. And the idea is you might use a solar sail or something like that in a, a sort of mundane way to take to ferry stuff to Mars, right? Use sunlight to push things. Uh, if you have time, you can get things with no with very no fuel and send them a long distance in the solar system. But there's also this fabulous idea, star shot. <laughs> right? Did that come out of NIAC? Out of the uh, it was innovations? Based, yeah, it was based on a NIAC-funded uh, project. So uh, this guy, Philip Lubin, um, is working with lasers, which is incredibly cool. But he's working with lasers to see how they can propel paper-thin, wafer-sized uh, spacecraft. So when you say wafer-sized, you mean like a saltine? It, sort of, yeah. Like, you know, looking at how lasers on a very small scale can be able to uh, propel a spacecraft and, and instead of going to Mars, actually looking into going to Alpha Centauri. So, uh, this How far away is that? Uh, you tell me. Oh, it's four, I think it's four light years. <laughs> okay. so, How long uh, would it take a cracker to get there? <laughs> so, they, so that is a great question. They, they have... <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, I, I believe they're aiming for 100 million miles a second, which would mean you might get there in about 20 years. 
Oh. And then when years? it gets there and it's seen, would hope. we get a signal? <laughs> Hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a car-based space program. I'm not sure. You're going to go four, twenty four light years in 20 Earth years? They're hoping to reach about 30% of the uh, speed of light. Yeah. Whoa. So, These are so, the fastest crackers you've ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's something that, you know, it, it, it like many NIAC proposals, it sounds crazy, but there's nothing in physics that says it's impossible. And so they're looking into sort of the preliminary, you know, concept studies that can do this. And so uh, so this was a NIAC-funded proposal, and then uh, along came a billionaire, Yuri Milner, and he invested $100 million into actually creating a proof of concept of this in hopes that we could perhaps have a very tiny, uh, very thin spacecraft at Alpha Centauri within a lifetime. So it would get out there and it would send a signal back, a picture, yep. in four years at the speed of light. That's what they hope. That is extraordinary and just crazy cool. These are just wild. No, really, it's fantastic. So that is a light sail, star shot, and star shade are going to, dare I say it, change the world. <laughs> This has been really cool. A uh, hand for the panel. Thank you so much. Eugene, Claudia, Ariel, Janet, I've been Bill Nye. Let's change the world. Thank you all. Thank you. This is Star Talk.